warm greetings to all our brethren around the world. Welcome to all the guests that we might have here today. We have 249 in attendance, and uh, do thank you very much for the special piano solo, Chloe. Thank you for that. 100 years ago today, July 28, 1914, was a historic event. That date marks the beginning of World War I. It was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. And we still have another war coming, World War III. World War I is uh, featured in our next Tomorrow's World magazine, the July-August issue, the end of war, question mark, from mustard gas to unmanned drones. What has the century since World War I taught us about human nature? And then we have a feature article in it, Do You Seek God? by Roderick C. Meredith. So we can think about the lessons of World War I, and as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3, verse 17, he was quoting from Isaiah, And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So in this end time, as we face a future World War III and conflicts ongoing all around us even now, God has called the people to produce a work of faith. Hebrews 11 lists the men and women of faith. One of those faithful servants was Noah. Back in May, that's 2014, the brethren from Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana, and many other cities came to Cincinnati, Ohio, for the Creation Weekend. That was Memorial Day weekend. My wife and I were there, Mr. and Mrs. John Robinson, and, of course, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wally Smith. We visited the Creation Museum, which had fascinating exhibits that were supporting the proof of God or the design of God. And we also had an exhibit of Noah's Ark, not a full exhibit, but sections. A creation Museum has one egregious error. They teach a young earth, that is that the earth and the universe are only 6,000 years old. However, the organization that sponsors that Creation Museum has broken ground for a new exhibit in Williamstown, Kentucky. They've started a project scheduled for the completion of summer of 2016 to build a full-size replica of Noah's Ark, 510 feet long. So that should be a fascinating exhibit, and uh, I'd like to uh, visit that when that's completed. But how did Noah accomplish this amazing project? You want to turn to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. How did Noah complete that amazing project? Hebrews, the 11th chapter, I think you know the answer to the question. Hebrews 11, and starting with verse 7, the first two words, By faith, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, and we all need a godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So it was by faith. He worked for more than 100 years. He and his family must have endured ridicule and persecution. 
At the uh, Spokesman Club Ladies' Night last Sunday night, the topics master asked, what woman in the Bible or in modern life has been an inspiration to you? Uh, One lady in the audience answered, Mrs. Noah. Uh, She had to support her husband, care for the children, and stand by her husband all those years. God gave Noah a work to do, a major mission. In essence, the ark was a testimony of God's way of salvation. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. You might just turn back there to 2 Peter, the second chapter, 2 Peter 2, breaking in the middle of the thought. In verse 5, 2 Peter 2, verse 5, And did not spare the ancient world, that is, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So Noah was faithful. He worked for more than 100 years to complete the mission God gave him. He accomplished a work of faith. But brethren, God has called us to accomplish a work of faith. And that's the title of the sermon today, A Work of Faith. In the semi-annual letter Dr. Meredith wrote April 30, 2014, it was mailed to over more than 440,000 Tomorrow's World subscribers around the world. He wrote, quote, As many of you know, this is the work of the living Christ. It is a work of faith. Because we truly try to follow the Bible and trust in God, we have been given special insight into the truly big events and trends which will be affecting your life in the next several years. He said, this is the work of the living Christ. It is a work of faith. God has given us a mission to accomplish. Will we, brethren, accomplish that mission? Will we persevere in accomplishing this work of faith? Yes, we will, because it is the living of the work of the living Christ but we have to do our part. Well, how did Noah accomplish his mission? By faith, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So how can we accomplish the Great Commission? How can we have the faith to accomplish the Great Commission? Six weeks ago, Dr. Meredith gave a must-play sermon, The Sin of Unbelief. That was May 31, 2014. Sermon number 821. In that sermon, he gave seven keys to building faith. I'll just mention them. Number one, study the Bible. I'll comment on that briefly. It tells us, of course, in Romans 10:17 that we have faith by reading God's Word. Have you let a day go by, you might ask yourself, without reading the Bible. You know, I remember back in June 1984, we were on the European tour with the ambassador students on our way to the dig in archaeological excavation in Israel, in Jerusalem. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was there in Salzburg, Austria. That was June of 1984. I think it was one of the uh, palaces of the uh, Habsburg dynasty and Uh, a big plaza outside, and I'll never forget. Mr. Armstrong said, Brethren, 
If you are not reading your Bible, you are going to be in a lake of fire. And he was really powerful about that. Not just reading the Bible, of course, but practicing the Bible. But if you ignore the Bible, there are consequences, obviously, to that. Seven keys to building faith. Number one, study the Bible. Number two, meditate. And I often at night or in bed do thinking, pray, and also think about maybe sermon topics and I'm meditating. Number two, meditate. Number three, pray. Here we are in, well, we go move back to Hebrews 11. We'll be probably visiting that later on, but as Dr. Douglas Winnale read last week from Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. We know. How do we know that we know him? Because we keep his commandments, it tells us in 1 John. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you're praying every day. You don't let a day go by without praying unless you're unconscious. Number three, pray. Number four, fast. And when was the last time you fasted? Five, study the creation. Walk in the creation. As we have a technological world, electronic world, sometimes we just ignore the beauty of the creation. I was enjoying the rain last night and uh, looked out the uh, back patio and looking at the woods behind our house. And I saw a light and I thought, I wonder if that's from one of the houses uh, back of the woods. And uh, then I saw another flashlight, another little light. They were lightning bugs. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Here's this beautiful forest. And God puts little sparkling lights here, there, and there, every, throughout the woods. What an awesome creator God is. I was walking out to the car today. There was a dragonfly right in front of me. Dragonfly. Two sets of wings. It's almost like, this is amazing. Two sets of wings. Maybe something like one of the uh, seraphim or, or one of the living creatures. And then we think about God's creation of the galaxies and just infinite seems like the universe just goes on and on infinitely. It's an expanding universe. Number five, study the creation. Number six, study prophecy. So I hope you're watching the telecast and Tomorrow's World magazine and the weekly news and prophecy that relate to current events. Number seven, exercise faith in every part of your life. So that was seven keys to building faith by Dr. Meredith in his sermon the Sin of Unbelief, May 31st, 2014. Then last week, Dr. Douglas Winnell gave a sermon, Building Real Faith. He also gave seven keys to building faith. Those keys included proving God's existence, proving that the Bible is the inspired word of God, walking by faith, and obeying God's word. So I encourage you to review both of those sermons. As Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to say, repetition is one of the strongest forms of emphasis. So in today's sermon, I'll repeat some of those keys, and I will add some other keys to complement those principles. We have a responsibility similar to the first century church. We must see the big picture 
We must trust, trust God's plans, His purpose, and His promises. As He said, as Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of the grave will not prevail against God's church. He gives us continual encouragement. Turn to Luke, the 14th chapter. To accomplish our work of faith, and I'm not going to number these all, but I'll just say number one, to accomplish our work of faith, we need to exercise wholehearted commitment. How can we accomplish the Great Commission? How can we have the faith to accomplish the Great Commission? We can grow in faith, you'll turn to Luke 14, by exercising wholehearted commitment. At baptism, you counted the cost. You repented of your sins. You accepted Christ's sacrifice. You gave your life, your time, your talents, your body to God. You proved God is the creator. You proved that the Bible is the word of God and it reveals the mind of God. Here in Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and brethren, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. It is love less by comparison, as we've explained before. But you have to have that awesome love more than you love yourself. You love Christ that way. And whoever does not bear his cross, we all bearing cross. I have a back pain right now, and we may have to uh, call on the deacons, not yet, to have a chair to sit down in here in a little while. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then he talks about counting the cost, that you've got to be willing to give all that you have. And so he says in verse 33, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We need that wholehearted commitment. We need the unconditional surrender. In fact, we have a sermon number 619, Unconditional Surrender by Jim Meredith. You might want to review that. Those of us who go back to World War II remember that in 1945, the United States dot dropped two atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That ended the war in Japan. And the Japanese surrendered unconditionally. At first they tried to negotiate conditions, but General MacArthur and others said, no, no conditions. You surrender, period. We surrender to God unconditionally at baptism. In the Incredible Human Potential book by Mr. Herbert Armstrong, page 97, he wrote this. This intensive Bible study resulted in sweeping my mind clean of all previous religious assumptions, then opening my mind to understanding of God's Word. He's rehearsing how he came into understanding the truth. Bringing me to a real repentance, being conquered by God, and his word in unconditional surrender and in living faith, turning over to him a life I felt was worthless. I humbly gave it to him if he could use it. And like others, he has conquered before me. He has used it these 51 years. 
So to accomplish our work of faith, brethren, we need to exercise wholehearted commitment. Turn to Luke, the 18th chapter. Uh, Luke 18. Dr. Douglas Winnell touched on this last week. We are in the end times. So the second point is that to accomplish our work of faith, we need to meet the challenges of the end time. Well, number two, meet the challenges of the end time. We have incredible challenges, but we have a God-given mission to preach the gospel. In Noah's day, the world became very wicked, and our world is headed towards the same degree of sinfulness. We need a wholehearted commitment to meet the challenges of the sinful age and with active faith. In Luke, the 18th chapter, we see that God is given the example of the importunate widow. And I like the lesson that Christ gave here with this strong encouragement. Luke 18. I get here by Bible. Verse 7, Luke 18. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? But there's a promise in that, that God says he will avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he's patient with us, though he bears long with us. So we need to again have that same kind of diligence, that kind of fervent prayer, that kind of persevering prayer. We can trust in that. The world is full of materialism, and that's one of the challenges we have to meet because we are immersed in a world of social influence that is negative. How can we have the faith in an age of materialism? Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man will really find faith on the earth, implying there isn't going to be much faith. In the Tomorrow's World magazine, 2004, March, April, Dr. Meredith's article, Do You Serve God or Mammon, addresses this issue of materialism. People young and old, he writes, will work themselves into a fanatic desire to possess material things. These things then and this desire become a form of idolatry. If we are to be God's people, we must recognize materialism for what it is and repent of such a selfish and rotten approach to life. We must stop allowing crass materialism to affect the quality of our spiritual lives, our families, and our children. We must put God and his way of life first ahead of any material things. We must learn to seek God in his way above all other things. After describing how God will take care of our material needs, Jesus Christ said, and he quotes Matthew 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we must seek the spiritual above the material. Turn to Romans the 8th chapter. That certainly reemphasizes that point, Romans the eighth chapter. Of course, Romans 8 is we call the Holy Spirit chapter. But I just want to start here with verse 1. 
Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So he goes on to say here, there is no condemnation. So if you're in a repentant attitude, God is going to bless you. You're going to immediately repent. He'll immediately forgive you. So there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Then verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. What a contrast. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, or hostile to the law of God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So we need to be spiritually minded. We focus on the spiritual. Focusing on the flesh destroys faith. On the other hand, we are flesh and blood. We have a responsibility to take care of our bodies, the temple of God's Holy Spirit. Dr. Scott Winnale's sermon covered that subject. We're not here, but given the weekly Sabbath Pentecost weekend titled Maintaining the Temple of God's Holy Spirit. Dr. Meredith designated that sermon as a must-play sermon. So we need to be good stewards of our bodies. We are flesh and blood. and uh, I certainly appreciate the anointing for my pain, and we certainly pray and thank God for the healings that he does give us. This morning's World of Wall Street Journal commented on the health of American youth. It's on the front page. Quote, More than two-thirds, 71% of America's youth would fail to qualify for military service, that is, today, because of physical, behavioral, or educational shortcomings, posing challenges to building the next generation of soldiers even as the U.S. draws down troops from conflict zones. 71% of America's youth would fail to qualify today for military service. What a commentary on the health of our youth. But I hope with our youth programs that our health, our children, and our youth are very healthy. How can we grow in faith and overcome the seemingly overwhelming influence of materialism? Remember God's way to build faith in Dr. Meredith's key number five, Study the creation. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, just to focus on that for a moment. As we overcome materialism and build faith, Isaiah, the 40th chapter, perhaps you would read this when you go home today. It's just an awesome chapter. But verse 15 of Isaiah 40, Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Those nations are very powerful with military forces, nuclear weapons that can eradicate and destroy all human life on the earth if those nuclear weapons were activated. And those nations are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. Then verse 25, to whom will you liken me? Or to whom will shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high 
And see who has created all these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. So read Romans, the first chapter. Read Isaiah, the 40th chapter. We can build faith by having the awesome realization and reality of who and what God is and the power of his creation. I'll just read Romans 1.20 to you. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So admiring the creation builds faith. You know, even King Solomon was admired for his knowledge of flora and fauna. It says in 1 Kings 4, 32. Well, you might turn back there, 1 Kings, your... The Old Testament, 1 Kings 4 and verse 32. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees, from the cedar tree of Lebanon even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish. And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So focus on the creation of God. We meet the challenges of the end time by focusing on God, his creation, and on the spiritual. Romans 8, 6, For the carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To accomplish our work of faith, we must meet the challenges of the end time with faith. Number three, to accomplish our work of faith, we need to serve God with a positive attitude. Turn to Psalm 100, one of my favorites, Psalm, Psalm 100. Two weeks ago, Dr. Meredith gave a sermon titled, Build a Positive Attitude. That was June 14, 2014. He emphasized focus on God's word and on positive ideas. We need to serve God with a positive attitude. So it tells us here in Psalm 100, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. And the King James, make a joyful noise to the Lord, the eternal, all your lands. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Is that how you serve the Lord? With gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So we need to serve God with gladness. You might turn back here to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. Deuteronomy 28, those who do not serve God with a positive attitude have a condemnation. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 46. He's talking about the uh, penalties for disobeying God's commandments and statutes. Verse 46, Deuteronomy 28. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Verse 47. Why? Because you did not serve the eternal your God with joy and gladness with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. And we in 
the Western world was certainly filled with all kinds of abundance. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, as we've heard more recently in the sermons, was in chains. And he said eight times in that epistle, rejoice. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. To accomplish our work of faith, practice serving God with a positive attitude. Serve the Lord with gladness. Number four, to accomplish our work of faith, practice the sevenfold commission. We've emphasized that in sermons recently throughout this year. But sadly, uh, some of the churches of God don't know their purpose. They don't know where they're going. Uh, They don't know what mission they should be accomplished and committed to. And it's very sad. They're like floundering, like floating in the middle of an ocean without a compass and without an anchor. But Christ gave us the commission in Matthew 28, verse 18, in Mark 16, verse 15. You might turn there to uh, Mark uh, 16, verse 15. Again, these are the great commissions that Christ gave us. Mark 16. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are striving to do that as Christ opens the doors. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned or judged. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues or languages. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly... It will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And he talks about the accompanying signs in verse 20. So God, Christ has given us a mission, that sevenfold mission that Dr. Meredith wrote about in the May-June 2001 Living Church News, our missing mission as a church, and then repeated it in a different article that is... Um, May, June 2009, the purpose for the church. So, brethren, do you know your mission? Have you committed yourself to fulfill that mission in faith? We have this uh, handout. Some of we've done it before, so probably. How many of you already have this poster of the seven-fold uh, mission? Good. It looks like, looks like about 74% of you do, but we do have... Uh, many more of these out on the uh, information table. You, many of our employees have uh, framed them and put them up on the wall in their office. Uh, when we were in Kansas City for Pentecost weekend, we were in the car with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Rand Millich, and uh, Mrs. Millich was saying how uh, she was just trying to remember uh, the sevenfold uh, commission. So we, the four of us, uh, discussed, and we all got all seven of them. The four it took four of us, but we got all uh, seven of them. And uh, you might test yourself. Do you know all seven of the sevenfold mission? We'll just recite them here. Uh, Dr. Meredith wrote in his article, Dear Brethren, I hope that all of you will catch the vision and join with us in fulfilling the sevenfold commission. Of course, it could be worded or structured differently. But these key elements of Christ's commission to his church, as outlined above, 
can be broken down into seven parts. One, preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and the true name of Jesus Christ, because there are those out there preaching a false Christ. Number two, preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish peoples. Three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. Six, restore apostolic was the original uh, statement, but now we've changed that. Restore original Christianity and all that this implies. Build an atmosphere, number seven, of radiant faith within God's church. So Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So there's work to do, and we must dedicate ourselves to working. I'll come on, comment on that a little later. In the LCN, The Purpose for the Church, page 21, May, June 2009, Dr. Meredith writes, Again, why are we here? What is God's work and our commission all about? I hope that the above explanation will help and inspire all of us to understand why we exist and what we ought to be doing as the living church of God. Let us then move ahead on all fronts and honor God and our Savior Jesus Christ as we zealously fulfill these vital elements of the Great Commission. He exhorts us, please study, meditate, and pray about these points and ask God to help you build them into your daily lives so that this work of God may go forward with zeal and power as never before. So God has given us a work to accomplish. We can be faithful servants of Christ if we know our mission, committed to fulfill that mission. So to accomplish our work of faith, number four, practice the sevenfold commission. Number five, to accomplish our work of faith, pray for our brethren and ministers around the world. Again, thank you to all of our brethren here in Charlotte who helped with the organization and service at the general ministerial conference that we had here. As I wrote the co-worker letter quoting from the Living Church News, reported on last month's biennial general ministerial conference, quote, from May 5th through the 7th, 2014, 287 ministers, ministers' wives, and ministerial widows from 20 countries around the globe gathered here in Charlotte, North Carolina for three days of fellowship and intensive instruction in the history doctrine, practice, and mission of the living church of God. You might turn to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, because we need to pray for our brethren and ministers around the world. We had 287 ministers, wives, and ministerial widows here for that conference. Ephesians 6 we know that that's talking about the power of God, the armor of God, Ephesians 6. 
and starting with verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Well, we have a work of faith. So we take the shield of faith by which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So there are six elements of that spiritual armor. But then he goes on with the seventh, and that is to be praying. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the Apostle Paul says. So in essence, we need to pray for the ministers. And for me, that the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So brethren, pray for all the ministers that they can speak boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you know the regional directors around the world and do you pray for them? Do you know the regional pastors here in the United States and do you pray for them? We have several regional pastors here in the United States. They've been announced recently because of uh, moves during the summer. But our regional pastor for the Northwest United States is Dr. Jeffrey Fall. So we need to uh, maybe write these names down so you can be praying for them. Southwest United States is Mr. Roger Bardot. The Midwest United States, the regional pastor, is Mr. Rand Millich. In the southeast uh, United States, Mr. Dan Hall has recently moved to Atlanta. So Mr. Dan Hall is the regional pastor for the southeast United States. Mr. Lambert Greer is regional pastor for the Mideast United States. And Mr. Jonathan McNair is regional pastor for the northeast United States. Well, then we have regional directors. Those are regional pastors. We have international regional directors. Mr. Gerald Weston is regional director of Canada. And now with Mr. Rod King moving to Australia, he's taking on the additional responsibilities of being regional director for the United Kingdom and Europe. Uh, Mr. Rod King, we appreciate him and his wife. Their nine years of service in the United Kingdom. Uh, they'll be moving back to Australia in July, where he will resume ministerial responsibilities there. So continue to pray for Mr. Rod King and his prostate cancer for full recovery. Mr. Mario Hernandez is Regional Director of the Spanish-speaking areas. Mr. Bruce Tyler is Regional Director of Australasia. And I asked him, well, how much of the world's population does that cover? It covers China. Uh, covers India. Uh, I don't think we came up with a specific percentage, but about 40% of the world's population. So I need to pray for Mr. Bruce Tyler, who has that responsibility for a large territory of planet Earth. And then Mr. Rick Stafford is Regional Director of the Caribbean. In Africa, now that Mr. King is moving to Australia, is going to be overseen for the present time by Dr. Douglas Winnale. So he'll be the regional director for Africa. And then well, I don't have time to mention all the ministers around the world, but some of you know Mr. Rajan Moses, Mr. Kinnear Penman in the Philippines as area pastor there, Mr. 
Arias Nusantara, uh, those who are in the Asian area. And then, of course, you need to pray for your local ministers here. And uh, the church bulletin that you have today, on the back you have listed our local ministers, our deacons, deaconesses, so you want to be praying for them. And this is a good little uh, prayer list for you to use as, as you pray. Turn to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. 1 Thessalonians 5. The Apostle Paul gives several exhortations here, but verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 5. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So number five, brethren, to accomplish a work of faith, pray for our brethren and ministers around the world. The body of Christ consists of converted brethren from all over the world, and God has called us to work together to accomplish a work of faith. Number six, to accomplish a work of faith, read the book of Acts. One of our missions is to restore original Christianity in all that this implies. That's number six of the sevenfold commission. Uh, Dr. Meredith uh, frequently reads the book of Acts, and it gives us inspiration, as I've read recently as well, and it gives us inspiration of how Christ worked with the ministry in those days and age and with deacons, and here they were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at a couple of those examples. Acts, the sixth chapter, Acts 6, and you might want to do a Bible study as you highlight through the book of Acts, being filled with the Spirit, Acts 6 and verse 4. Well, starting with actually verse 3, we are talking about appointing deacons to serve tables, he says at the end of verse 2. Acts 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves to continually to prayer to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and uh, mentions the other men that were chosen. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Acts, the seventh chapter. You know, Stephen was the first martyr. And when he testified before the Sanhedrin, uh, they were furious. Acts 7, verse 54. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he was full of the Holy Spirit, and God gave him that vision. So take a look at another example in Acts, the 11th chapter. Acts 11 and verse 23. Speaking of Barnabas, 
when he, that is Barnabas, came to Antioch and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas was a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Let's turn to Acts the 13th chapter. Paul and Barnabas were persecuted. They were expelled from Antioch. And Acts 13 verse 51. And so they, as they left the city, Acts 13 verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Brethren, to accomplish our work of faith, read the book of Acts. The examples of these converted Christians will inspire you to follow in their footsteps. Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We just read there in verse 52. So we need to all follow their examples and strive to restore original Christianity. Number seven, to accomplish our work of faith, we also must grow in faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11. the faith chapter and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that's Romans 10:17 here in Romans or Hebrews 11 verse 1 we all know the definition of faith now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen Now, the word substance is rather abstract, but let's consider the NIV translation. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So it's not just substance, it's confidence and it's assurance. The English Standard Version has it this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we need that conviction. We need the assurance. We need the confidence. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. There's another definition of faith, and that's illustrated in Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. Abraham was a man of faith, and we find Romans, the fourth chapter, that he was given these great promises that came not from the law, but they were the promises of faith. And so we start in verse 16 of Romans 4. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed 
not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So we call him the father of the faithful. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, that is Abraham, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20 gives us another perspective and definition of faith. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. As I should say, verse 21. And being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was able also, he was also able to perform. So there's another perspective of faith. That what he believed that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Do you believe that? What God has promised you, he's able to perform. That was what Abraham exercised. He was fully convinced. Verse 21, that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, verse 22, was accounted to him for righteousness. Go back to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews 6, and starting with uh, verse 11. How do we inherit the promises? Hebrews 6, verse 11. The Apostle Paul's writing, And we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Here we have the word assurance. Hope, of course, is expectation. Faith is assurance. Hope is we are anticipating. We're looking forward to it. We have that expectation. Verse 12, That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So that's how we inherit the promises, through faith and patience. And that means, of course, persevering. Verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, that is Abraham, he obtained the promise. Let's go back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We're back here in Hebrews 6. Just take a look at the men and women of faith. We'll just point them out here. Starting with verse 4, we won't uh, expound on them, but just to mention who they were. Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken away so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then we have verse 6, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Then who is mentioned next in the faith chapter? Noah. Then Abraham. 
verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Then verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off or assured of them, embraced them. Have you embraced the promises and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth? Who else is mentioned? Abraham is mentioned again in verse 17. Isaac, verse 20. Jacob, verse 21. Joseph, verse 22. Moses, verse 23. And then Rahab, verse 31. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For all the time shall fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, and the promises and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. So brethren, are you fully convinced that what God has promised, he is able also to perform? If you are convinced, you have faith. To accomplish our work of faith, we also must grow in faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number eight, to accomplish our work of faith, remember the men and women of faith. We just highlighted those, so actually well, the highlight uh, should have been in number eight, but number less, uh, you've got a reinforcement here. Let's turn to James, the second chapter. James, the second chapter. We must grow in faith and be filled with the Holy Spirit and remember the men and women of faith. James, the second chapter. Faith is characterized by assurance, conviction, and confidence. But faith without works is dead. James 2 and verse 20. Well, we'll start in verse 19. People say, I believe. Well, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So you need to have a godly faith. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God... (coughs) and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. See, Romans and Galatians quotes that same scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But those references do not clarify the kind of faith that Abraham had. This clarifies what kind of faith did Abraham have. He had a faith that was obedient. He was willing to sacrifice his son and obey God. So he was called the friend of God. You see, verse 24, that then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. 
Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, we talk about a, a metaphor, an analogy. If you don't have the spirit, you're dead. So faith without works is dead also. So James is showing us the kind of faith we need. That kind of faith that means that we do good to all, as it tells us in Galatians 6 and verse 10. But we let's turn there to Galatians 6 and verse 10. So we have faith with works. And men and women who not just believe, but their belief translated into acts of faith. Galatians 6 chapter. And this is uh, a theme and a principle and a mission statement that we here in the Charlotte congregation have been activating. Verse 9 of Galatians 6, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we have an outreach program here. We've done the Ronald McDonald House. We've done the uh, Habitat for Humanity. So we want to continue to have the faith that shows that we, we're not doing it to be seen, but we're doing it to show that we have the love of God for humanity and that we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We do have our faith tested in tests from time to time. And in fact, the uh, church bulletin uh, last week had uh, the uh, message from Dr. Douglas Winnell. Just take a look at it here. This is our church bulletin. Uh, Trials test our faith. This is from uh, Dr. Douglas Winnell in the uh, World Ahead, actually June 21st. Well, the World Ahead would have been the 19th, but this is our church bulletin, June 21st, 2014. Trials test our faith. The Apostle Paul warned, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. He concludes, James wrote, the testing of our faith produces patience. James 1, verses 3 through 4. Let's do our part to build faith by studying the examples of faith recorded in Hebrews 11 as we strive to please God. Dr. Meredith wrote about people of faith. One of them was Herbert W. Armstrong. And he wrote this about uh, Mr. Armstrong in the, uh, I have the reference, in the September-October 2013 Living Church News, uh, growing, grow in faith through trials. Dr. Meredith writes, quote, I have seen how, despite our human weaknesses, God delivered Mr. Armstrong and the work over and over, often miraculously. He was a man of deep faith. He would trust God in a way that very few human beings have done in modern times. Therefore, unusual supernatural healings and other blessings 
often occurred through his prayers. So Mr. Armstrong wrote a co-worker letter. I was going on the Internet and uh, just found this old co-worker letter by Mr. Herbert Armstrong, February 14th, 1941. So Mr. Meredith called Mr. Armstrong a man of deep faith. This is what Mr. Armstrong wrote in that 1941 co-worker letter. Our work is a work of faith. And then he also gave ten daily questions. I won't read all of them. I'll just share one of them. Question number four, we're supposed to act, uh, ask ourselves. And this was in that 1941 co-worker letter. Ask yourself, have I walked in faith, asking God for wisdom and guidance in all things, committing every little problem to him, trusting him with it? End of quote. So we've seen men and women of faith in Hebrews 11. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was a man of deep faith. And Roderick C. Meredith is a man of deep faith. And he's demonstrated that faith and perseverance for 61 and a half years since he was ordained as an evangelist. We pray for his continuing strength and health. He just turned 84 years of age last week. So we thank God for his leadership and for his guidance. I think we need to applaud that. So remember our faithful ministers and wives who have died over the past few decades. You know, even at age 93, Mr. Debar Partian was coming into the office every morning at 8.30. So we remember our ministers and ministers' wives. As it says in Hebrews 11.13, we read, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. To accomplish our work of faith, this is number eight. Remember the men and women of faith. Let's always strive to follow their examples as men, women, boys, and girls of faith and as children of God. Number nine, to accomplish our work of faith is to pray for God's work around the world. Let's turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew 9. Sometimes we just focus on our local church area. We need to have the big picture. Maybe you need to have a globe or world map in your home or your office so you can have that big picture. Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, I hope you have compassion and have maybe shed some tears when you see what's happening in the United States of America and in the Western world, the, the evils, the hardness of heart, the oppression, injustice. It's just sad to see our nation falling down 
because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous or plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I hope you're praying that. So Dr. Douglas Winnale this afternoon will be giving a Tomorrow's World presentation in Jackson, Mississippi. And tomorrow he'll give a TWP in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And then Mr. Jonathan McNair tomorrow will be giving a campaign in Syracuse, New York. And then you've heard announced uh, Mr. Rod McNair and I will be speaking here at the Hilton, uh, University Hilton at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And six, uh, since 2006, Mr. Rod McNair mentioned the announcements, um, our ministers have given 630 presentations around the world to more than 18,000 visitors. And then on July 19th and uh, July 20th, Mr. Rod King and Mr. Vanderbilt will be giving presentations in Midran and Town, South Africa. And also on July 19th, Mr. Mario Hernandez will be giving a campaign in Geneva, Switzerland. So the word is going out into all the world. And I encourage you, brethren, to be acquainted with all the aspects of God's work. To accomplish our work of faith, pray for God's work around the world. The websites, the telecasts, we're going out in English, Spanish, French, with Chinese subtitles and Russian. So pray for more open doors for the gospel. Pray for more co-workers, donors, members, ministers, and laborers in the harvest. Both Mr. Herbert Armstrong and Dr. Meredith have observed a spiritual reality. I think you know what it is. You know what that spiritual reality is. Mr. Herbert Armstrong explained that in his November 18, 1974, co-worker letter, and at other times, but this is just one of the times he mentioned it. He writes, And God has given us, quote, the work, end of quote, to do as the very means by which we may grow spiritually so that so we may enter his kingdom at Christ's coming. In 47 years, I have observed that only those whose hearts are fully in the work continue to overcome and grow spiritually and endure. Through the years, I, with those added for their part in the work, continued to announce the wonderful news of the coming kingdom of God and all that that message embodied. Never have we sought to get, but always give the good news of God's truth. You know, I just think of individuals who are having spiritual problems, even here locally and throughout uh, the church worldwide, that if they would only have their hearts in God's work, many of their problems would be solved. Well, brethren, let's keep up with the developments in God's work. Read the dynamic articles in our magazines. Watch the telecast regularly and determined to have a keen interest in all aspects of God's work. So to accomplish our work of faith, pray for God's work around the world. And pray for scattered brethren. And pray for our enemies as well. But wholeheartedly support God's work 
and have your heart in God's work. Number 10, finally, brethren, to accomplish our work of faith, trust Christ to lead his church and his work. As he said in the Great Commission, Matthew 28:18, all authority, or in the King James, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And he says, lo, I am with you always. So we trust Christ to help us fulfill the commission. How powerful is Christ? Let's review that in Hebrews, the first chapter, Hebrews 1. Hebrews, the first chapter. Starting with verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. He's heir of all things, and through him, that is Christ, made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and notice this, verse 3, in upholding all things by the word of his power. All of the processes, all of the uh, laws of physics and chemistry, Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than angels, and he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Well, that's just how powerful Christ is. He has all power in the universe, and we need to trust in that power. Thank God for the mission that he's given us to do the work. He upholds the universe as it is in the New English, the English Standard Version as it this way. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is constantly directing the church through his ministry, through the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.18, I'll just read it to you. And he is the head of the body, the church. So Christ is the active, living head of the church. So brethren, to accomplish our work of faith, trust Christ to lead, lead his church and to guide his work. We in God's church have the highest calling to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the coming kingdom of God. As Dr. Meredith wrote in the semi-annual letter, April 30th, 2014, quote, as many as, as many of you know, this is the work of the living Christ. It is a work of faith. So how can we maintain that faith? As we've seen in today's sermon, we must keep our eyes on Christ. He's the head of the body. He's calling the first fruits from all over the world. We might turn there to... Revelation 5, verse 9, because God is calling people out of every tribe and language and nation. He tells us in Revelation 5, 9, 
You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So brethren, read the book of Acts. Remember the people, the men and women of faith. We are living in the most exciting times in all history, and we look forward to the greatest event since creation, the return of Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate the way of life, the abundant way of giving, sharing, caring, striving to living, live by every word of God. It is a work of faith, but work requires labor. I turn to John, the ninth chapter, John 9. It is a work of faith, so we need both the work and we need the faith. John, the ninth chapter, John 9. And verse 4. John 9 and verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. That's our instruction. That's our mission. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. God has called us to be the light of the world. So, brethren, let's pray for God's kingdom to come. Let's prepare the way. For the King of kings, as he promised, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, brethren, let's have our heart thoroughly in God's work. May we all be filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with the very faith of Christ. For this is the work of the living Christ It is a work of faith.